<laughs> have you put any of the memes I've sent in the episode notes? Uh, yeah, they were the chapter arc for a couple of chapters yeah. on the last episode. Everyone uh, has one point right now also. Everyone's tied, by the way. Yes. So, do you guys want to stop listening to Metallica? <laughs> I definitely did when I was listening. <laughs> so this uh, next album comes out two years later in 1986. It's called Master of Puppets. It's even longer. Yeah, it's called Master of Puppets. And this is where my history with Metallica starts. This is probably not the first album that I listened to, but it is the first in their chronology. Fuck that. Chronology. Uh, Mm. Yeah, Chrome Dome. And (laughs) um, yeah, this is the first one out of their... uh, That's not it. Chronology? Discography. Discography. Oh, well, well you, if, you, if you just asked an average person what name one Metallica song, it would be Master of Puppets, right? Yes. No. Or no. Be, no. Enter Sandman. No. Enter Sandman. Enter Sandman. Enter Sandman. <laughs> Alex, get off this the- call. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. It's late here in Dude, New York. It's time for my Slow down on the CBD. <laughs> slow down on the CBD. Alex, can you spell CBD for me real quick? No, I don't do it on command. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but this is a song that I feel like a lot of people know very well who don't even listen to Metallica. I would say it's one of those runner-ups. I would right. say that Inner Sandman is definitely their, but I don't know why. their biggest song, but I would say this would probably... Definitely tie something else if it's not this song as the runner-up of like this is the next song just because like if you've ever worked at guitar center this song is being played poorly by someone (laughs) i mean enter sandman is also being played poorly by someone (laughs) uh yeah enter sandman is being played way more poorly (laughs) because no it's actually like a kind of a tricky riff if you don't know what you're doing to make it sound like james hetfield does you got to yeah. use all four fingers, and as we know, guitar players only have three fingers. So, <laughs> unless you're a blues player, and then you got five. A blues player or a bad player? Let's move on. Oh hey, John God. Mayer does it. <laughs> hey, fun fact. Fun fact. This became the first metal recording to be selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Recording Registry for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. It's a goddamn shame. That's what I'm saying, though. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, that's. I think that's significant, though, because it's kind of the classic Metallica album for I think this was my favorite least, album for so. the, out of mm. the five. Mm. Why? Why? Yeah. Yeah. I Why? wouldn't say that this is my favorite album. Tell us more, Dave. <laughs> Why? I just felt like they, fi- like, at this point, they finally, like, got better at song structure. They got better at placing everything in, in, in a mix. It's really effective with the way that the song starts and ends the like i don't know i mean i wrote down notes for every song but like okay i I agree that yes things did get better but holy shit it also got boring like their songwriting got better in the sense of like they they had a better concept but like the album starts and i'm like in it i'm here and then halfway through Master of Puppets, I'm like, can this be over? Like when I, I it's, it's this, it's the structure of, we've already talked about where they have their, mm. you know, their intro, their verse, their chorus, and they're going to repeat that. And then there's going to be a guitar solo and then they're going to repeat it all over again. And it's, it, 
it's so fucking boring. Those guitar solos take Sorry. forever. I don't know, man. I, I meant to say the first half of this album is my, first half. <laughs> it's my, it's my favorite album. Yeah, I was going to say, Dave. Because I actually like... wrote my notes, like, I wrote my notes, <laughs> Disposable Heroes is where I start to realize I don't think I've heard the back half of this album. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also, the drum fill toward the end of the song is just not in time. And then I wrote, Leaper Messiah, why is there a five count at the beginning of this song? <laughs> we get... We get one, two, one, two, three, four, five. Because <laughs> they they wanted to do something interesting to grab your attention it's like, back. Dude, I, 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 I think Lars just wanted to brag that he could count to five now. Yeah, and thus Math Rock was born. <laughs> thrash Math, baby. On the last record, he invented the Neo Thrash beat, and then on this record, he invented Math Rock. Math Rock. He invented he invented Math Thrash. My my second fun fact was the the verse and outro of Master of Puppets is often mislabeled as being in five eight, but it's closer to twenty one thirty two, which I wrote, which is a music theorist <laughs> way of saying the band wasn't concerned with time signatures. <laughs> <laughs> but again, here's the second instance of Lars having to take lessons to keep up with the writing mm. of this of the band. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Dave. That the first half of this record is where it's at. I mean, Battery is just a great opening track. That song goes yeah. so hard. It's just so good. Dope. And it's just another one of those songs that starts off, the whole record starts off with kind of clean guitars, which I'm sure, you know, didn't upset Metallica fans by the third record. But, you know, for a metalhead who's this may be their intro, that may piss them off just because that's how metalheads can be sometimes. But then Master of Puppets, obviously, it's just a great song eight and a half minutes it's a lot of people i would say that that song is probably a lot of early metalheads intro into these like spanning songs that just go on for more than you know your typical five to six minute metal song like eight and a half minutes is not short you have to really commit to listen to that and that kind of stuff so you know i would say that this is probably one of those first instances in metal that really got people into that i'm not saying it's the first song to do that but one of the most popular one of the first uh instances and then i would say welcome home sanitarium is the first time they nailed a more soft song and i love that song yeah i think it's one of their best if not their best and they they really you know it's not it's not a ballad by any means yeah no that was an interesting track get some like uh billy corgan vibes on that one one hundred. Yeah, I can hear yeah, that for it's, sure. It's a very interesting. It, it's um, it's kind of harkening to like an early '90s sound that's like coming up, but it's still '86. So yeah. they're they're really experimenting with. I feel like they're uh, they're on this album. They're coming into their own. They're really crafting a sound that's theirs. Not all the tracks hold up. No, but yeah, one yeah, thing they one thing they board. did really well on this record that they haven't done in previous to this was. They it seemed as though the riffs were more based around Hetfield's what the way he was singing the words. So it seemed it felt more cohesive to me that mm. the riffs followed the words rather mm-hmm. than the words being placed over the riffs. Yeah. So while yeah. they are a band that likes to just put riff next to riff next to riff, I think with Cliff Burton helping them write and Hetfield taking the lyric side of it more seriously and developing his his own craft. It just felt more cohesive overall. That's that's. I think that's why the first half is my favorite. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my favorite album. This album was like one of the the really big times where 
James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich were the ones who were just doing the songwriting. They were they like there are like quotes of them the two of them doing this album and then bringing them in later. This is like yeah, I think Ride the Lightning was uh, I I don't know for sure, but I'm I'm going to guess it was much more of a let's everybody work together situation. But this was really the two of them writing this thing together and then bringing everybody else in. And they they described it as guitar riffs assembled and reassembled until they start to sound like a song, which uh, reminded me of being in high school because that's how writing a song is when you're in high school. But you're not writing a fucking (laughs) eight and a half minute song when you're in high school. Nope. Nope, you're not. I definitely I find that the albums that are explicitly stated that that's how they wrote the album, that it was just Hetfield and Ulrich in a room that those ones are the one not entirely because i as i said there are three songs on here that are just incredible where but i i find that those albums somehow they just lose a lot of meaning to me and that the albums that it's well known that oh they actually did this more as a band effort seem to come out in my personal opinion a little bit better i mean just on the second half of this record you know you have the eight minute long disposable heroes and by the halfway point of that song I was just kind of realizing, oh, God, I still have three more songs on this. <laughs> and then I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion, but I think the instrumental on this album, Orion, is just a bad song. I think it is so it's boring It's fucking yeah, trash. I don't care for it. It's fucking trash. Mm-mm. I like Cliff Burton's part in the middle, but the, yeah. outside of that, I, I was reading about it before I listened to the album, and I read that this was like a bass feature, and that they purposely hid the sound of his bass. Just, they tried to make it sound like a guitar with the distorted bass sound and the wah stuff, but I couldn't even, I couldn't tell, you know, it seemed too high register to be bass until that middle section where you can hear him come in with that that part. I was like, this is really cool. But other than that, I really don't think that song needed to be on this album. It did not. No. I'm just going to go ahead and say this, and this isn't uh, specifically to Cliff Burton, but if you play bass and you want it to sound like a guitar, stop playing bass. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> unless you're unless you're Thundercat, then just keep doing what you're doing, fam. Dude, he doesn't sound like a guitar at all. Like he's doing his own thing. Sounds like a spaceship. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a bass. It doesn't sound like a guitar. That's his own thing. <laughs> it sounds like that fucking bear hoodie he wears. <laughs> but I did, I did like, it was nice to hear Disposable Heroes, for example, because I realized that I didn't hear the second half of this album for some reason or another. So it was nice to hear an old Metallica song from that era that I had not heard and be like, oh, this is actually really good. I don't mind this at all. Yeah. So they stayed sober while they were on recording days. They didn't drink when they were in the studio for this album, which is pretty, pretty cool. And, and they, uh, they also, they said that they were, they felt like they were just making another album. They didn't feel like they were doing something really special, which I think it kind of leads into, you know, they were writing a little bit more maturely, but they were, you know, they were exploring different stuff. They weren't really trying to do something different. I think Lars is always trying to do something different. The rest of the band wasn't trying to do something different. They were just writing an album. And uh, Kirk Hammett said that he felt at this point the band was peaking in terms of like their chemistry. They were all gelling and getting along really, really well at this point which just is very upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think I think also, you know, that while everybody else was trying to do something different, I think Lars was trying to do something. Yeah, yeah. Just 
anything, something. That's, that's a good Please, point. Just anything. <laughs> I say, I say that. Uh, I, I, the, I realize the thing I said about it's upsetting that they had chemistry sounded like a joke. It's more of a sad thing because things are about to get really de- uh, depressing for them. Uh, but Jackson, what do you yeah. what do you rate this album? Well, you know, by depressing, I, I think what you mean by depressing, the most depressing thing about this album is that Dave Mustaine has no writing credits on it, but <laughs> but he claims that he co-wrote Leper Messiah when he was yeah. in the band. So of course he did. Let me just say once again, and possibly for the final time, hashtag release the Mustaine cut. I'm going to give this album a four out of eight. <laughs> is this the thing where, uh, was that where Leper Messiah was has a simpler chord structure to Hangar 18. I think so. I think that's right. Hmm. I'm not sure. I went I went and listened to Hangar 18, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, but they're not. Like, you'd have to be a really big Metallica fan and a really big Megadeth fan and a good musician to ever pick that up. <laughs> Do you guys think that uh, Dave Mustaine is, like, the biggest Metallica fan and the biggest Megadeth fan? <laughs> Well, what what I was going to say is if you're a really big Metallica fan and a really big Megadeth fan, you're probably not a really good musician. <laughs> How long is it? A, Master of Puppets. B, Welcome Home Sanitarium. C, Orion. D, Disposable Heroes. Who wants to go first? I'm going to say uh, Sanitarium. Okay. Adam? I'll say Master of Puppets, because I don't think that song ever stopped. <laughs> They're still playing it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Master of Puppets yeah. as well. Alex? I'm going to say Orion, because it felt long. It is Fuck. indeed Master of Puppets. That is nice. the longest song on this album. It's a close It's a close race. Master of Puppets coming in at 835. Uh, Disposable Heroes is 817, so it's a close race. Who wants to tackle this heavy subject that's about to hit us? Uh, well, I'll, <laughs> everybody I'll aboard, all at once. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll aboard the the bus to Sad Town. Um, Cliff Burton died. Why did you? Oh, why Dave, did you say Dave, bus? Because it's relevant. Dude. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> uh, on today's episode of Dave's Death Corner. <laughs> You guys are morbid. <laughs> we, we want to say we want to say rest in peace to Metallica's only good member. <laughs> so this Burton. is the origin of the joke. It should have been Lars. So, <laughs> Dave, <laughs> wait, Dave, you didn't know correct. that? You've been on this podcast. You didn't know that was the joke. Well, I just forgot about oh, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never forget. Never forget. Yep. <laughs> so. And correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. I know you're the documentary guy on this crew, but I. So they were on tour somewhere in Scandinavia. Uh, I think it was Norway, Sweden, somewhere like that. And there, it was in the middle of the night. Their tour bus hit a rough patch. I believe it was ice, something like that. It slid off the road. It overturned, and I believe Cliff Burton was in like the master suite for the tour bus. So he won. If he won it, the draw. He won the. Yes. They were they were drawing cards oh. to see who got to choose what room to be in, and oh. he won the draw. And wow. he chose he chose it, it was actually Hammett's bunk, like that's that, that was his assigned one. But they did it every night, so he chose I want to be in that one tonight. Wow, 
Yeah, so oh, if you've seen man. a tour bus, there's typically, like, four regular bunks that just, like, look like bunk bed, like twin-size beds. And then oftentimes there will be, like, a master bed that is just, like, you know, it, it it's the, you know, most comfortable one. It looks like a normal room, that kind of thing. So he, obviously, we said, won that draw. They got in a car wreck, and so I believe, you know, he was thrown out of the bus and the bus he was, yeah he was he was next to a window he was laying next to a window and when the bus crashed he w- went out the window and then the bus landed on him so and then the band obviously once everybody kind of came to and was out of the bus and saw okay everyone's okay they were like oh well where's you know where's cliff and then they kind of decided oh he's under the bus so everyone all the crew members they tried lifting the bus and they got it up a little bit and then it fell again and i know that the band has you know in many interviews around that time talked about like that they wrestled with the idea that maybe he was alive and that by them picking up the bus and then accidentally dropping it again they worry that they were the ones who kill him so it's a pretty it's a pretty morbid subject and it Spurs, you know, when I said alcoholica, that wasn't just a joke I made up. That was a name that a lot of bands were giving them, and they even kind of wore it as a badge of honor for a little bit. The band did because they were so much into substance, uh, but more particularly alcohol. And so, most people in a situation like this would take a break. You know, they would cancel their tour, take time to mourn, and then kind of figure out do we want to proceed and all that kind of kind of stuff. What they did. They canceled the tour. They went back, immediately started auditioning bassists, and got a new bassist. And if I'm not mistaken, they went back on tour, finished up their touring circuit for this record, and then did a new album. And you know, it's yeah. Just... They, they released uh, they released um, like a cover album, I think, in between this. Yeah, yeah, and they also they quickly like as fast as possible, and I don't blame them. But so when when cliff joined he joined under um the like the acceptance that they would move to a, a place in san francisco in the bay area where he was as soon as they got back from tour they got the fuck out of that they were like nope we're gone we're not and i totally understand that but when they got back they tried to do everything they could to erase all thoughts and memories of this person i'm sure just out of pure like grieving not anything that, uh, otherwise but they they got out they went and auditioned a bass player they were doing everything they could to just forget yeah and like it, these are young like i don't know how old they were at this time but in their 20s i mean i can only imagine dealing with that on top of the heavy substance abuse the heavy touring being in a massive band at this point they are massive at this point so i mean I don't think anybody's blaming them saying like, Oh, they should have taken a break. It it was just one of those things where it's like for however many years, this is how that, what they knew to do. They knew, Oh, we make records and tour. We have to keep going. Or if we stop, we might, you know, just burn out. Yeah. It's their young, their young adulthood. There's, you know, there's no right way to grieve, but I think that's just the way that they chose to do it. Cause I mean, if, if I think about, you know, in listening to all this music now, I do think that if he was still alive and he were still in Metallica, not only would Metallica have a better discography, but he would be much more revered in the world of bass players. Yeah. We're talking about him saying he's largely underrated. I think it's because he died before his time was, he hadn't even peaked at Mm -hmm. this point. 
Yeah. And and just to I, I hate to like be more negative in this moment, but in the documentary when they're auditioning bass players again, Lars is like, Yeah, if Cliff was auditioning now, I don't know if he'd be good enough for it. I don't know if he'd make the cut. And Yes he would. Yeah. Like why the why fuck would, would you say that? Why yeah. Fuck you, Lars. Because the bass player they got, uh, dude, and seeing now, uh, putting everything in perspective and seeing the bass player they have now, I keep I keep forgetting his first name. Robert. Robert. Robert Trujillo. Um, he is the closest thing they've had to Cliff, and he's an incredible bass player. He is. He really is. He's incredible. He might be more technically proficient than Cliff was, but thinking about seeing them now with him and hearing Jason Newstead in that time, it's like especially considering how they were treating Jason Newstead when he first joined the band. They were messing with him constantly. They were hazing him. They were making him feel like, like shit. And he was just taking it on the chin. And he was like, I'm in this band. I dedicate my life to music. This is what we're doing. Yep. Yeah. So Dave mentioned it. They had a new bassist. His name was Jason Newstead. I don't know much about him. His name is Jason Newstead. He plays bass in Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> The first album he released with the band came out in 1988, uh, only two years after Master of Puppets. So in music time, that is a very short amount of time. I mean, two years, there's touring between all that. You got to write and record this new record, and then they released it. And then, obviously, all the stuff we just mentioned. That's a short amount of time. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a short amount of time to between records, but it's also a short amount of time between records when a bandmate dies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the the reviews of this they they're very much um, they're very much in the, leaning towards the aggression and the emotion they felt made this album amazing and made it what it was. The reviews of this album are like through the roof. People loved when it loved it when it came out. This is still this album is by a lot of Metallica fans their favorite album. This is their absolute favorite album, and I'll get into why that's upsetting later. But it when when you just take it on pure emotion and aggression there's a lot of cool shit in this album and when you just kind of try, try to take it at face value it's a, i remember listening to it when i was in high school and i i dug the fuck out of a lot of these songs yeah it was definitely my favorite album as a teenager as, as a like a, a new metallica fan that was the one that really like leapt out to me so here's a question was it your favorite album as a teenager and leapt out to you because were you a fan before they released it no no so i'm i'm going back Already there, I think by the time I was listening to Metallica, they were almost to Death Magnetic. So this is yeah, me going were, back. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and like looking okay. back through the discography and then finding this and being like, wow, this is it. Yeah, I mean, you, right. you have I mean, you have songs like One. I mean, that one, right. that, like that, that's right. like, that's such a, it sticks out so much, especially to someone who's getting into metal at a young age and just like, Oh, you could you could make it this heavy, and there's double bass, and whoa, this is crazy, you know. And that, yeah. that solo, mm-hmm. holy shit! That was their first music video was for that song, and yeah, that double bass. So I, I have this note: the ending of one is so good. I remember sitting in math class in high school and doing that double kick pattern on my notebook or something like that, and then looking across the room because I heard somebody else doing it. And it was just some kids staring at me doing it as well. They're just <laughs> doing that. 
So like, uh, I mean like just, yeah, but my first note, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and veer off from all the positivity about this album and hopefully Adam, you'll agree with me. This album is where I realized that just because there are big songs on the album doesn't make it a good album. I for think sure. that for sure. Blackened, the title track and one are all good songs, but after that, everything else was just such a slog for me. <laughs> For sure. Dude, I couldn't agree more. I, w- I started uh, taking notes, you know, about every song, and I have a quote from James Hetfield on writing for this album, and he said, we've jammed six riffs into one song. Let's make it eight. Let's get crazy with it. And I wish I hadn't read that quote because <laughs> all of my notes after it are like, this song drags on too long. This, this intro is cool, but the song drags on too long. The opening riff is really cool, but this song drags the fuck on. Drags the fuck on, drags the fuck on. Like I just kept writing. Like there was also in the song. Get it uh, over with. The song "To Live Is to Die." It was an instrumental. Man, there is just like, there's an intro to the song, and then it just like it's not. I I struggle to even call it a transition. But what it's is not. up with that? Like it is such a shit transition. It's just like an intro, and then it's like, all right, and here's another song. It's like <laughs> if you had one of those old school radios where you had the dial and you're tuning uh, from one station to the next and you're on the classical channel and then you tune over to, you know, like uh, <laughs> some fucking rock channel. I was like, whoa, what was that? And it's then at the end album. of the song, <laughs> at the end of the song, they dial they dial back into the thing again. And I was just like, man, this song sucks ass. <laughs> It turns out that, that that song is a tribute to Cliff Burton. It's it's featuring a lot of the things that they've never recorded that he had written, and so they decided to do that on a song as a tribute to him. It's his last writing credit on in in the history of Metallica. So, gotcha. but at the same time, it's like, what the fuck? When I was listening to that, I hadn't heard that. I didn't. Again, I didn't hear the second half of this album. I don't know what was going on with me when I was a kid. But you're listening to the good um, shit because they put the good shit in the front. Yeah, they front load the CDs, but I just like, what the, why would you do that? Why is there like a a really nice intro? I would have rathered them play that intro out and and stop it and then start the song. Yeah. But the way that they faded, they cross faded the two songs and it's like, I just started laughing in my living room. It's a fucking mess. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, when, when that happened, I was walking around my house and I stopped and I was like, what was that? Did I miss something? Like, did I did something skip? What's going on here? And I had to like look down at my phone and be like, "Nope, this is the same song." I overall confused. Are you guys ready to talk about this? The 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 thing this album is most famous for, though. Well, no. Here, here. Let me let me segue into it. Okay. Yes. Let me segue into it. Let the bass player take us into it. The funniest thing in the world about having a dedication to your dead bass player on a record you dedicated a bunch of things that he did the funniest thing about having that on a record is that you can't hear the fucking bass on the record at all it's so ironic the wikipedia for this album has a whole section about the bass mix so yeah i i'm no expert on it but you literally can't hear it and there's been uh, obviously it, it's it's almost a meme at this point that you know where's the base in and justice for all. But do you have the, the st- do you have the quote from the engineer? No, but uh, I I know it just kind of. I, I'm guessing you have it pulled up. Though. Yeah, yeah. So he says it, after Lars and James heard their initial mixes, the first thing they said was quote take the bass down so you can just hear it, 
And then once you've done it, take it down a further three decibels. And then he says, I have no idea what the, why they wanted that, but it was totally out of my hands. And then uh, in 2018, I think it was, one of the other producers had said, I'm probably one of the only people in the world, including Jason Newstead and the assistant engineer who heard the bass tracks, and they are fucking brilliant. So this is what earlier, whenever I was talking about you know, how you can see these stories changing and in interviews over the years. And that kind of just points towards this guilt. There's all this, you know, what Hagen was just talking about, but there's this talk about that. Oh, they did it to haze uh, Jason Newstead into the group, which is just such a weird thing because by hazing him into group, you also kind of knocked your music, the work that you worked on down a bit. But it, over the years, you see both James Hetfield and uh, Lars Ulrich kind of changed their tune a little bit every single time. Yep. So I don't know which one of these starts and what they ended on, but basically they said, okay, well, he's just doubling the rhythm guitar, so what you, you can't hear it because it's drowned out. No, that's not an excuse. And then they also said, oh, we just got off uh, heavy touring, so our ears were shot. We didn't know what we were hearing. It's like, well that's you know maybe that's the case but then why did you say that thing earlier and then later they even had an instance where they were re-releasing the album i don't know for what anniversary but they were re-releasing it and typically when you re-release these albums you know for their 30th anniversary or however long it may be you'll do a remaster or a remix you almost always do a remaster that's that really doesn't you know mess with the integrity of the original album but a remix is a pretty big deal. And so people have been calling for the bass tracks on this album to be, you know, bumped up so you can actually hear them. And they didn't do that for the re-release. And the reason why they said it is they didn't want to, you know, that, yeah, they've made mistakes in their past, but it would ruin that kind of point in history. It would make the, it would ruin what makes that album the album. I, yeah. Well, yeah. The, the the quote was the quote was these records are a product of a certain time in life. So, and Justice for All could use a little more low end, and Saint Anger could use a little less tin snare drum. Yeah. But those things are what make those records part of our history. I agree with that to some point, but I don't think in this situation, like it, that's like them saying like, okay, well, we don't want to do a complete like 2020 mix on Kill 'Em All. That makes sense. Don't do that. That ruins the integrity. But if this is something that everyone kind of agrees, hey, man, we don't need this like completely low end. We don't need this to sound like a dubstep song. What we want is to be able to hear the part. That's, yeah. that's different. I tried really hard to like listen for where they mixed the bass in this record, and it's like I think the only time I could hear it was in some sections of one. That's it. And I couldn't even tell enough to decide if it was bass or not some of the yeah. ways they mixed the kick drum it sounds like it's a bass they make they mixed the the kick drum with more articulation more click on on the actual like hitting of the drum so it kind of sounds like a bass is playing and and, and the way that i guess the way the bass drum is tuned or again the way they mixed it it, ha it has a pretty solid pitch if you listen to it in good headphones and good speakers but otherwise i mean like there's no real semblance of an actual low end in this mix I do think, though, that the guitars on this record sound incredible. Yeah. I will second that. I think the way that they, the way that they mix the guitars and like the palm muting and everything, the tone of it is just like, you know, I almost wonder 
if that was why I didn't question where the bass was when I was a kid because it's so it still sounds so full and heavy yeah. without the bass you know I, it, it, I do also want to mention another thing why did Lars later in his career stop playing the double kick double kick drum sounds so much better for a Metallica song especially when we're talking about something like one but a lot of instances on this record even on songs I don't like I hear a double kick and I'm just like yeah that fits really well and Lars is known now he's just one of the like he's stopped doing double kicks am I correct on that uh, well, yeah, I mean, he said that there's a song called Dyer's Eve where he like was asked about why they don't play the song or why when they do play the song, he doesn't do the double kick part. And he just said, it's too difficult. Yeah, exactly. He he won't he's he won't do it. He won't get better. He won't try. He's a fucking waste of a drummer. Was that too harsh? I'm sorry. No, no I'm, I'm uh, well, Alex? he's laughing all the way to the bank. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. buy some the, shitty art. Okay, so I like just real quick that part in the documentary where he's selling his art and he is like getting all drunk and whatever the whole time. He's acting all sad because he's like, "Oh, my art's going away." But fuck that. Fuck your like fake sad bullshit. He is so happy he's walking with millions of dollars. Yeah, he's acting sad while he's standing there going, "Come on, four hundred thousand, four hundred thousand. Come on, please, come on." Yeah, and then and then as soon as they say, uh, I mean, it's it's the editing, but as soon as they say. This one sells for five million. He opens the door and is like, "More cocktails, please!" Like, <laughs> yeah. But and then his his assistant, like, don't. How bad do you feel for his assistant Uh-oh. in the documentary? When, when the assistant's like, like talking about the whole, he's so monotone and like, well, Lars is going through some changes and <laughs> he wants a fresh start and he feels like this <laughs> art is not really part of where his life is right now. So he decided to auction it. And then when Lars is in the 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 space where all his art is hung he's like i think it's gonna be good and then he drops his champagne glass and it smashes everywhere and, and he's just he like just he walks like, away he acts like a child a total child he's like well oh there that is yeah he literally just strolls away from it and the way i mean again you could say this is editing but this happened he leaves the space and the camera like zooms in on the people sweeping up his mess <laughs> y'all want to know a little fun fact about lars ulrich oh god absolutely he is really good friends with one of the Gallagher brothers. <laughs> Noel Gallagher. Apparently, that... they have like house parties and they'll go over to each other's houses in LA because they both have McMansions and are just, you know, douchey rock stars. <laughs> that tracks. That makes so much yeah, sense. It yeah. does. Um, so I'm going to give this album a three out of nine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I'm so curious about this rating system that you have. It's a good it's rating system. It's not that system. hard if you uh, if you think about it. I promise you can. It's hard it to out. compare the uh, albums to each other, but you know. Oh, it's the number of songs that are on every album. You fucking dick. You ruined it. <laughs> oh, I feel like a dumbass. <laughs> and you look like one too. <laughs> I, I just I, I didn't I didn't like this album at all. I remember thinking like, uh, please just stop. I can't wait for this to be over. I, it's I'm, such a weird feeling yeah, my, because like it's just one of those albums that like you're like, oh yeah, this is a huge album, and then you see some of the tracks on it like Injustice for All, and then you know, one of all songs. That's such a huge song of theirs, and then you know I listened to it. And I was like, huh, this sucks. Yeah, like a yeah. lot. 
I, I, like I said earlier, I wish I hadn't read that quote about Hetfield going like, oh, you think six riffs are crazy? Let's jam eight into one song. Let's get crazy with it. And I remember thinking like, don't get crazy with it. I think that if they cut out the fluff and useless horseshit riffs on this album, it would have been a, a much better, it would have had much better I, I reception. I hear that. But part, so... part of me is like trying to think about the time where like our attention span now, because of the music industry, we're used to hearing songs that are barely three minutes long. Back then, you wanted to buy a record. You want to get this metal record from, you know, Metallica. They're going to drop a new one. You want to get your money's worth. So they're just packing it with as much shit as they can. I get that. Artistically, so artistically, a, that's doing nothing for me. Another, another thing is, like, the attention span aspect of it, you know, did we get to this attention span because we are so distracted or do we get to this attention span because in some respects it's not needed to be that long what do you mean it's not needed like i don't understand like we could we could just we could just put more riffs in there we could just put more riffs in there i don't know what you mean fuck (laughs) i totally agree with you though alex i mean like there was an early part of my metal head journey that i remember going trying to find metal bands and to me listening to a three minute metal song was it felt like a you know like i wasn't doing it right like if it wasn't six to nine minutes long what was the point right you know yeah yeah i mean i don't know i think i think that like there's there's something to be said about a long song it's not a bad thing it's not necessarily a good thing it just is a thing well it's it's a it's a bad thing when it doesn't evolve because they some of the tracks like i don't know and justice for all has a great i think arc to it for example, yeah. versus a, a track that just sounds like six to eight riffs jammed together. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I really, I really do think like, I mean, like I said, I, I, what I mean by it's, it can be good or it's not, it's not bad or it's not good. I mean, like it really just depends on the song. Yeah. I mean, it's not a length of a song. Doesn't, de- doesn't determine anything. What determines it is if you have a piece of fucking shit, like so many things on this album. And the thing that they also like, I wrote, I wrote a paragraph about how like I felt about this album when I was a kid and how I liked so many songs on this album. And then I just ended the paragraph by just saying, this is a fucking joke. Like this, this album is 100% a fucking joke. I just, I can't do it. I, I, I don't well, want to listen to it again. Here's the thing. It's the first album where they don't have any influence from Cliff Burton. Right. So they, they take a huge step back in song structure, melodic structure, harmonies, like, Everything just gets hurt because Cliff Burton is not there. It's very yeah. true. So and then it's like your own. secret yeah. weapon is, yeah, it's like get fucked. You ruined it. Yeah, yeah. It really shows how he's not un- not involved on in this album at all because like the whole thing feels underdeveloped almost. Like there's potentially good stuff here, but yeah, like, nobody told them. And that. some of y'all's Metallicas don't have Cliff Burtons in it, and it really shows. <laughs> instead of ending this album by saying uh, hashtag release the Mustaine cuts we can end it with uh, a hashtag should have been Lars yep okay get him get how em. long is it wait Adam I just heard your cat purr into the microphone <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry I, I quick, but I didn't catch okay it. Uh, how long is it which one's the longest <laughs> One. Everyone. A. I think I'm just gonna. I think I'm just gonna take a shot. <laughs> a. One. B. To live is to die. C. Dyer's Eve. D. And injustice for all. One. I'm gonna say injustice for all. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sure. 
Uh, Do you want to hear it again? I'm going to say one. I'm going to say one. one. Okay. Uh, it is To Live Is To Die. Mm. That is the longest song on the album. At What, what does it clock in at? 949. Yikes. It's two <laughs> seconds. It's It's two seconds longer than one of the other songs on the album. So it's 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 a close race. You know, I think I actually I read that they had to cut that song short because uh, at that point in time you could only have so much information on a CD. Like on oh a disc. my god! So that might be another reason why they that might be the reason why they cut those weird acoustic intros short and faded them in awkwardly. It's uh, because they wanted to get the. It's two seconds shy of Injustice or Injustice for All is two seconds shy. It's nine forty seven. Mm. Uh, Damn it. Yeah, but to live is to die is nine forty nine. Hmm. Cheers to that album. Fuck that album. <laughs> yeah. Should have been Lars. Yep. I agree. One thing we didn't talk about on um, Master of Puppets. What's really weird that we kind of all just tend to agree that that album was not good either, other than you know, three or four songs out of the eight. What's really weird is like when you see somebody nowadays with a Metallica T-shirt. It's almost always the Master of Puppets t-shirt, yep. is it not? That's so yeah. weird. Yeah. Yeah. I also don't care for that album art at all. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's that lends uh, credence to what you were talking about, Alex, that that is maybe one of their most famous songs. Uh, it, it, because, there's something iconic know, about Yeah, see. yeah. But... Yeah, I mean the art. The art, like the Injustice for All cover, is really iconic. Yeah. The, they took the Lady Liberty and the way that they dressed her up, and you know, it's when I see that stuff, I consider it a different thing, separate from the music. I think that the yeah. artists that created those album covers, kudos to them, and I hope they're sitting pretty with some money off of that. But I don't necessarily put too much weight into the album cover influencing the, you know, the goodness or badness of a record worth noting yeah, i don't know this for sure but and this may be a good topic to talk about sometime on this show but i believe most album artists the way it works is they basically it's like they just get commissioned to make a the album art and then they get they get paid and they're gone there are, i know there's a lot of you know producers and stuff like that the way they you know they get paid they will get a cut of like, oh, I get 5% of the profit of the album during its whole, like for, from now on. I think the artist is just yeah. like, oh, here's 50K, that's it. And if this is yeah. the next biggest album or if this is a flop, it doesn't matter, you get 50K. Yeah, no, I mean, not to get too far off topic, but at one point in time, it was a, it was a point-based system. So you could get points on a record or you could take a lump sum up front, which is what really kind of screwed a lot of Motown musicians. Yeah. Yeah, we should talk about that one day. All right, so, you know, Injustice for All came out in 1988. I would say that of all the albums that we have listened to for this, this is going to be our last album, but this was the longest gap in between records, if I'm not mistaken, from 1988 to to 1991. So quick math for you. That's three years. This album was released on my birthday, one year before I was born. So thank God I don't actually have like a like a year. Like this is not actually associated with my birth, like my birthday. But it's close. It's close. <laughs> you just missed it. So this is the big I, album we're talking about. So we're talking about we're talking about the self-titled. Yeah, or oh. black album. Yeah, it's they wanted to call it Metallica. They wanted to call it just like the actual album, but. 
it because of the album art and stuff like that it became the black album yeah i didn't for years know that there was a snake on that album cover no, I didn't either. You, you I can't had no even idea. tell that Metallica's written on it. It, it literally just looks like a no. black rectangle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I can see the snake way more than I can the Metallica. <laughs> well, the, the the original release of it was way darker too. You couldn't tell, but they re-released it with some with some grayer font of the snake and the logo. That's just Jesus. so weird. I mean, like I, I'm definitely down from the to do that, but I mean, you can't see shit on that cover. That is literally just the color black so yeah yeah to call it the black <laughs> my, album is understandable my my fun fact for this album was uh that it was remixed three times <laughs> and it cost them it cost them a million dollars yeah, yeah I saw and that. james hetfield lars ulrich and kirk hammett all got divorced during the making of this album wow. this was also the first album they worked with uh, bob rock on i love that name right. by the way to be a record producer Named Bob Rock. Here's here's my my second fun fact is producer Bob Rock made this album and swore to never work with the band again. <laughs> I bet. Only to end up making the next three albums with the band. Yeah. And at the end of at the end of production for Saint Anger, some fifteen hundred fans signed a petition to encourage the band to prohibit Bob Rock from ever oh producing God. any more Metallica. <laughs> yeah, I mean he he like he says that, and then and yet he's in fucking therapy with the band in the documentary working on Saint Anger. I mean, like well, yeah. he is a member of, for for like for all we can consider, he is a member of Metallica during Saint Anger. Yeah, I mean he played bass for most of the writing of the album and produced it. And when Hetfield was in when he was in recovery, he had reached out to Kirk Hammett and talked about Bob Rock and was like, hey, I don't want any of these people that are the suits and the people that are pulling the strings at the with the label, people like Bob Rock. I don't <laughs> want them to know anything that's going on. Oh, and it, cut, it cuts to him and he's just like a sad boy in the corner like, oh man, that hurts me. I got an absolute <laughs> kick out of that scene because like Bob Rock, like it, the entire time Bob Rock is pretty just like in that documentary, just on his own. He's not like really hurting anyone he's not really helping either but he's just there and and at some point members at like will turn on him and just say one snide thing to him that's just like oh why he's he's actually like a fine producer in these scenes they're showing at least like he's actually yeah getting a good performance out of them for these shitty songs there are good examples by the way of producers that are the quote-unquote the you know the fifth beetle or you know Nigel Godric and Radiohead, there are good examples of a producer being an ex- extension of the band. But uh, this is one of those instances where it just fans started feeling like, oh, he had he was way too close to the band and he was able to, you know, make decisions that he shouldn't have been able to be made. So let's back up, though, and just talk about the Black Album for a little bit. So this is their big album. I would argue that this is their most popular most successful uh i don't know if it's their most successful financially but it, it's definitely that album that like it, most it was people, at the time like, at least right oh when yeah it was released sure. yeah and so it starts out with here before we even talk about the tracks they recorded this uh, as we said there was the divorces which when you're trying to write heavy music and heavy things are happening in your life i guess that can help but i mean 
I guess there's the instance where like Cliff Burton died and that didn't help them, but I guess that's an actual <laughs> member leaving the band. So let's let's that's totally well, yeah, irrelevant. He was the writer band. of the band. Yeah. yeah. The, di- the difference being is that on this album you can hear the bass and sometimes it sounds really good. Yeah, I literally yeah. wrote right here. I hear a bass guitar in Holier Than Thou. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with the opening of the, the opening track of the record, you can hear the bass really well, even though it's it's not doing anything super impressive, but you can hear it really clearly. And I'm like, oh, there, yeah, here we yeah. go. I just and there was also apparently the band took a more organic approach because Bob Rock wasn't used to working with them, so he said, okay, well, let's get the band in, let's record our parts. So the band, instead of taking their usual route of, okay, Lars and James are going to get in a room, write it, and then you guys come in and record your parts, this was actually, okay, we're going to all write it as a band. And personally, I think that shows that, you know, obviously it's their biggest album. So, I mean, I can't help but think them getting in and just being more of an organic band and getting organic songs out of it, songwriting-wise, kind of... I feel that personally probably has a huge part in it. But they hated that because there was there was a clip from from the documentary where it's like a it's like a you know going back to them trying this because they did it again on Saint Anger where they all kind of talked to each other about their parts and on this album they tried that and somebody says to James you know oh we should sing it this way and James goes oh you want to do it that way why don't you fucking sing it then it's like (laughs) so but even then like it's lightning in a bottle so like there are instances like Fleetwood Mac recording rumors like they probably all hated that whole situation but it yielded one of the most popular records of all time but even then closer to home in heavy metal you have someone like Slipknot working with Rick Rubin and they claim to have hated it but then that's their best album by far so it's just like yeah. i don't know there is that situation where you know that kind of uncomfortable feeling of trying something new can get that lightning in the bottle <laughs> that you need to do you know kind of hone your craft i'm not saying that you can do that over and over again yeah i mean this was for me just listening to it pretending as though i didn't know anything about the making of the album it sounds produced it sounds like they got somebody to really give it a direction which and and it was a big change from what they were doing already because this is like this is heavy metal right this isn't a thrash album like the first four this this feels like something it's different different. yeah all the the entire vocals yeah that's how bob rock came on board was that he went to see the band a couple of times and then he listened to the older albums and was like told the band i don't feel like you've yet captured your energy live on stage that you that you have on a record so i would love to work with you guys but in the the vh1 behind the scenes documentary about the making of this record you can see for the first while that they were working with bob rock that they grilled him i mean there are scenes of him, of them finding old album covers that he has in his studio where he looks like a hair metal rocker dude and they're like hey bob who's this girl on the record cover and the band is laughing at Bob, and Bob is just like, yeah, that's yeah, that's totally me. Yeah. That seems just like this band's attitude, and mostly Lars and James. I, I don't know about the other two, but definitely. What did you say? It's not Kurt. What did you say? That's, yeah. not my, that's not my attitude. What? 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 <laughs> Good day to you, cocksuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, Lars Ulrich is basically that, that just the, the prick in the background of a Van Wilder movie. 
He's just really a background guy. <laughs> well, the good thing <laughs> for him on this album asshole. is all the songs are so much slower, so he can actually shine. He can actually... Uh, <laughs> you, even might, you, might, you might want to like backpedal on the word shine. You might want to really backpedal yeah. on... And... Even though he didn't shine, he could have actually shown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He he definitely he definitely you know did a, a job um, on this album. I I don't know if it was better or worse. I I, I think these songs are just more palatable songs. Definitely. I think that's all it comes down to. They Absolutely. they For sure. I, like you said, it's heavy metal, not thrash metal, but they also lean towards a lot more like poppy songwriting. Yeah, there's yeah. Uh, there there's still like guitar solos, but like they like the melody and his. I mean I mean James's voice on "And Justice for All" was starting this process. But on this album, this is James's voice. Mm-hmm. This is what we know as James Hetfield's voice. Even yeah. if we listen back to the old stuff, we still think about this is his voice. Definitely. Yeah. Well, and the diff- the difference between the first record and this record in in terms of his voice is yeah. night and day. For sure. Yeah. It's that it's that thing of him. He just had years to develop what he what his legacy would be. It, in it's a maturity singing. for him and the whole band. I think this this moment in time. Yeah, for sure. So the album starts out with what I'm going to say is their biggest song, Inner Sandman. So at this point, it's pretty difficult to take the context away from this song. So I I really do see at this point Inner Sandman being kind of like a Smells Like Teen Spirit or a Wonderwall. It's really hard to take away the context (laughs) surrounding it now. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it's a good song. I mean, I can listen to most of this album just and take away all the years of context and like, oh, I know Metallica. But that's just one of those songs where you it's almost impossible to take away the context, but that doesn't discredit it as a good song. Dude, when I was a kid, uh, I used to say uh, the prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Like I used to say that prayer every night. And then I did that for so many years. And then I listened to Backstreet Boys and Hanson and stuff like that. And then I got into Metallica and that was the song that was the reason that I stopped saying that prayer. <laughs> because I got nightmares from that music video with that creepy-ass old man and the 18-wheeler truck just, like, coming at the, the kid while he's laying in bed. I'm like, I'm not saying that prayer ever again, Mom and Dad, because I'm going to get killed by an old man in an 18-wheeler. I had the polar opposite where I had friends who were, like, you know, mildly religious. And then when, when we got like into high school, they started getting more into Metallica. We all did together. And, uh, they started to, they were still mildly religious, but they like started saying that prayer. It was very weird. I was like, what? I, I, I mean, at the time I didn't question it truly, but looking back on it, I'm like, why, what, what's the, why, why did you do that? Did they, did they also say the hush little baby? Don't <laughs> say your word. I think one of them did. Yeah. <laughs> this is, uh, an album that, I mean, just like on most people, it's one of those classic albums that just everyone has, like a back in black kind of thing. I mean, for me, obviously, I like Inner Sandman. It's not my favorite song just because, as I said, uh, it's really hard to take away the context. But there's there's even the second track, Sad But True, that like I still cannot get out of my head. I keep walking mm-hmm, around yeah. my apartment singing that song. That song is so long. That song, that like like we all have that riff stuck in our head. What else is there in that song? Why is it so long? You know why? It's it's the space it's the space that Lars takes between the sections when he comes back in with the da 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 da. <laughs> I always mess that up, and I imagine them in the studio, like the producer going, "Okay, Lars, now it's it's your time to we're gonna recut that snare fill," and he's like, "Okay, cool. Here's the end of the part. Okay." <clears throat> 
and the rest of the band the rest of the band is like oh okay I guess we're back in <laughs> they all have to watch him I it's imagine him, yeah. they've Cause never that, heard a click that track. happens like two or three times in the song so it takes up a good you know four seconds like I want my eight seconds back motherfucker. it's it's him it's him being like it's it's artistic integrity you know like 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 Bonham does you know I, I, pl- I, play, I play like real drummers I don't need time I can just do it I've been really I've been really into like Miles Davis so I'm leaving space <laughs> so there's even there's even the song uh, The Unforgiven which I going into this I remembered that song and I was like I think I hate this song and I think I hate what it represents and then I re-listened to it and I was like oh no I actually you know this is this is a good song that's I a like great it. song yeah it's another it, yeah it's another yeah. example of them kind of nailing that more solemn approach once again it's not a ballad at all which by the way there's a ballad on this which i expected to also hate and then i listened to it but nothing else matters is actually a pretty good song and it's just another i song. love that song yeah i, I love I e minor <laughs> but like james heffield was said that he was on the phone with someone when he was writing that and then he's so holding the phone with his left hand yeah he was just playing those open strings and was like Hold on, I'll call you back. Let me write the best song we've ever written. <laughs> so, going back to Unforgiven, there are three Unforgivens. Not on this album, but do you think there need to be three Unforgivens? Is that something they need to? No. They, they should have done? I think that's fucking stupid. The, okay, so here's, for me, at that time, when they came out with Load and Reload, that was when I was full swing Metallica. So I loved that shit. The music videos they had for some of those records are great. Unforgiven 2 is on one of those records. And I was like, oh, my God, dude, they continued the song. This is great. <laughs> oh, my God. They've done it. Yeah. That's, that, yeah. that type of shit really annoys me and always has. Whenever I got into Led Zeppelin, you get, guys may not know this, but the song Houses of the Holy is not on the record, Houses of the Holy. And that pisses me off. To no end. That kind of shit just like, <laughs> oh, oh, man. Or like bands that have uh, songs named after them. Like, doesn't Black Sabbath have a song called Black Sabbath? Yeah, I think that so. Kind of shit. I hate that. Yeah. I hate it so much. It's like fully, uh, fully form your ideas before you record a record, dickhead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's great. I mean, like, talking about that, uh, the vocals, I mean, this is like for the whole album. It is. It, it's an. It's a melodic approach. Yeah, there are you actually can harmonies. Sing these songs for once. Yeah, it's catchy. Yeah, which is really nice. Thank you, yeah. Bob Rock. Some of my favorite metal bands, you can actually sing along. Like I love metal music, but as someone who likes to sing, it's really hard for me to listen to metal music that has no melody to it because I connect with the music in that way. So this grabs me a lot more because i feel a lot more comfortable singing to this than i do a lot of other metallica songs or other metal music so i would definitely say that that really kind of gripped me hard but then there's also another thing is there are no songs that are pushing the eight minutes or the nine minutes on this album it's still a long album it's 62 minutes almost 63 yeah, minutes really but, be careful yeah. there you're 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 like like yes, no songs are super duper long, but this album is a it's chore. Good, yeah. It is a fucking <laughs> chore to get through. Like it's I, long. There, it is, but the songs not being long really helps it not feel as bad. Yeah, but way more digestible. I didn't say on like at the end of every song, I didn't think like, oh, thank God it's over. Right. I, right. I think like, I thought that. A I lot, think the big but... thing is that like I I think that these songs rely on one thing. 
And so much of time in Metallica songs, they are riff-based, but they have other riffs and other moments in them where they can shine. Going back to Sad But True, that song really stuck out to me as like, wow, hey, why the fuck is this song going on this long? And it's just this one riff, and then there's a guitar solo, but why? Like, I, I don't know why I'm just supposed to... It's like theme, themes are really important, but you can put other stuff in your songs and still make the themes important. And I'm going to go back to Ride the Lightning on this because the theme in Ride the Lightning is important, and you're waiting for it the whole time, and as soon as it comes back in at the end, you're like, fuck yes! That was awesome! But part of the writing process was that they had gotten, like tired of putting too many riffs in into one song they eat like they were they've been interviewed in saying that like you know we wanted to make something that wasn't injustice for all because we had put so much stuff into this album and thought that it was too much which is really funny for me because our biggest complaint as a group was that there was just too much stuff in this album and that they were advocating for it when they were writing it they were like this is great because we're showing off how good we are at stuff and then the next album, they're like, we scale back how good we are at stuff, and this is our best record. I'd, yeah. I'd love to hear these songs without long, like longer solos in the middle. I'd love to hear these yeah. songs without solos, like long solos, or with the fucking bridge. That's what I'd love. That's what I wanted. I, I would love to hear that idea of these songs, because these are better songs altogether. Yeah. Dude, when you have private jets, you don't need bridges. <laughs> <laughs> It's a better listening experience, too, because it it's a really well-engineered, produced, crafted album, too. Like, the sounds... Yes. It, it sounds great. Like, st- it's yeah. still, it still sounds great. Kirk Hammond, he even said, he was like, man, I didn't realize that we were making such a, a good album because they were so involved in the mm-hmm. writing of it that they didn't have a wider perspective of what it would end up sounding like. So in the afterthought of the album, he was like, man, it's actually really good. Yeah, but the acoustics in America just aren't that that good, though. (laughs) I thought the acoustics in America weren't that good. So how'd they get that? When you have private jets, you don't need a bridge. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I really feel like on the flip side to what you were saying, Hagen, it's just like, I feel like on those albums, like, you know, Ride the Lightning or Injustice for All or Master of Puppets, yeah, there's more coming at you but i like how in this one if you don't like because there were parts like ride the lightning as i said two-thirds of that song i really liked and then there was a third where i was like oh this sucks but i have to sit through the whole song in this if you don't like a part you know that that's the song you know what sad but true sounds like it's that if you don't connect with that just fuck off to the next song it's pretty easy I i like that idea that like hey you know I don't have to sit through this because I may miss like the best ending outro in the world. Like, no, you're getting what you get. And that that's right. a pretty punk approach to it, even though this is not a punk band. That, that That's true. It, it does help in that regard, but you have to get through the album to understand that. You have to get through, and again, they aren't as long songs, but the album is long as fuck. Yeah. And you have to get through that to understand the concept of, I can skip the song and it's okay because I heard the one riff and that is the song. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I have a mixed feelings about it because I do think this album is probably like, I mean, it is their biggest album. I don't know if it's their most important album, but it is their biggest album, has their biggest songs. But I, I, I just, I just get bored maybe, maybe because I've heard it a bunch. I don't know. It's hard to say at this point. Well, that's one thing I was going to say too, is when I was listening to it, I thought I love all of this because I think I've listened to it too much. 
and it's one of the it's yeah. one of the first albums I got into where I really liked it from start to finish, and it helped uh, it helped form a part of my identity when I was a kid. And how many times, uh, just, you know, for Dave, how many times have you taught these songs? Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so many times. And how many times have I taught them knowing that I'm playing it right? And having to tell students like, no, you're really kind of messing it up right now. <laughs> but, but also saying to them, maybe I'm teaching you it wrong. So I'm going to go back and listen to the isolated bass track and go in like, oh, okay. So the riffs were a bit different on guitar than they were on bass, but you're still playing it wrong. <laughs> I love the idea of Dave sitting in a practice room with an eight-year-old. And he's like, Timmy, you're playing it fucking wrong. <laughs> think you're right you need to eat some fucking cement and harden the fuck up <laughs> that, that is that that's that's dave right there i think i, I think if his eight-year-old's not listening in, in in a lesson room he's just like noodling while the kid talks oh totally dude totally. Dave, that's do why not you know. noodle the kid <laughs> number one rule oh my god <laughs> all right all right hagan what's the game i need a shot <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Hagen, what would you rate this album? What would I rate this album? Uh, I would rate this album, uh, I'm going to say 7 out of 12. I'm going to give it a 10 out of 12. Really? You like 10 songs on this album? I do. Yeah, no, I did not think this is a perfect album, and this is by no means going to be an album that I'm going to go back and listen to after this deep dive, but I can appreciate what it is, and... There was a time where I really liked this album, and I definitely think this is the better out of all the albums we've listened to. Well, it was to. ranked 255 out of the 500, the Rolling Stones' greatest albums of all time. Which is, uh, like, that's a big honor. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big honor when you think about it. Huge. Yeah, you know, it's a big honor, but, like, <laughs> you know, we, sh- we should have been higher. We should have been higher. We should have been higher. It, it, it should have been 100 at least. Top 100. <laughs> Dude... <laughs> I, I honestly like like. See, I'm I, mad y'all didn't tell me to watch this before we got on. Here. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I I'm really missing out. We didn't out. tell each other to watch them. I was lying. No. <laughs> Did anybody listen to that uh, Inner Sandman jazz cover I sent? I've oh, I've, I've heard, heard yeah, it. I've heard that. I've before. heard it. Yeah. yeah. But honestly, whenever I hear nothing else matters, I think of Aaron Sterling's Instagram video. And Adam, I'll send that oh, to you God. so you can put that in the show notes because it is. A fucking delight. It is truly. Aaron <laughs> Sterling is a wonderful drummer, and he he did this thing on his, his, his Instagram for a long time where he would take a song and then you know displace the beat a little bit, and it was it was a great way to hear the song in a perspective that is either very funny or very cool. And he did a super weird thing with nothing else matters, and it's truly amazing. It's a great way to listen to that song. He put it in six, so instead of down 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 down, it was. It's like, it's awesome. Yeah, it's so cool. Okay, how long is it? Which song is the longest on the Black Album? A, The Unforgiven. B, Enter Sandman. C, Nothing Else Matters. D, My Friend of Misery. I'm going to say The Unforgiven. Yeah, me too. My Friend of Misery. That was going to be mine, but yeah. My, my friend of misery. And the correct answer is my friend of misery. Adam, you won. Oh. You got three points. Hey, I, I also said that. Why did yeah, only but Adam you, but, win? But, but he, oh, but, the, well, the total overall, over, 
overall, you only have two. Pussies. I'm here. Slow down. I got on the here. CBD. I'm still gonna take a shot though. Slow down on the CBD. <laughs> I just really wanted to win. I'm competitive. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, no. Cheers why? Up. Why? Why did that happen? What? 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 <laughs> okay, go ahead. Do we Sum ever want to listen to Metallica again? No. Anybody? <laughs> no. <laughs> if someone wants to pay us, then sure. Here, here's, my, here's my proposal I, for you guys. My proposal is we don't have to listen to Metallica again. I actually put in my, like, in conclusion notes, I said, thank God we're done. I'm not doing the back half. Never happening again. Um, <laughs> you couldn't uh, pay me to do that. But I, I propose that instead of us doing a podcast like where, where we do a watch of Star Wars Episode Nine, we watch the Metallica documentary some kind of monster and and com- yeah. and do commentary while we watch the documentary. I, I I propose that be the end of Metallica journey for us, but I, we have to do that. I think that would be great. That sounds incredible. Yeah. I would love to do that. That is such a good movie. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. I'm going to watch it. You- yeah, Alex, you got to watch it. It's great. I definitely <laughs> missed out. Okay, so so overall, when you think about when you guys think about the band and how big they become in terms of they're almost on Kiss level in terms of uh, merchandise and notoriety and everybody knowing who they are. Do you think that their music lives up to the legend no. of the band? <laughs> Wait, Alex, what do you think? Um, I I I think it. I think. Because we, we, we got no's from everybody but Alex. So that's well, why I asked Alex. Am I, I mean, we already <laughs> said, are we going to listen to any more Metallica? No. But the whole evolution of the genre, to me, they have a very particular place in that. And where it fell just in the timeline. So it was right time, right place. Sure. So how about this? Let's say you have to go to one of the big four thrash metal bands. You have to go see Megadeth, Metallica, Anthrax, or Slayer, or you have to listen to all that music and you really have no choice in the matter. What would you pick out of those four bands, I would Alex? pick up my Cliff Burton hammer and bash my own head in. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Did you say and bash your own head? You nailed it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, there you go. You have it, kids. Don't listen to Metallica. Yeah. There are way better metal bands out there. And as we've said multiple times, you can appreciate where music comes from. You can appreciate the roots. I love prog music. I hate King Crimson. And I hate Pink Floyd. But that doesn't mean that I can't enjoy, you know, and appreciate those roots. Metal music does not come from Metallica. I want to make that super duper clear. That's not what I'm Metallica- saying. Metallica... No. No, 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 it's not yeah, what you're saying yeah. at all, I know. But I want to make that super clear <laughs> that, that metal music does not, like, if someone, first of all, at this point in time, in the current state of but Metallica. But Hagen, metal is them, in their name. Come on. <sighs> Sorry, I'll go now. <laughs> but yeah, but it's two L's. It's yeah. two L's. They messed no, that up. Uh, Hagen and <laughs> Licka is in their name, too. Oh. oh. Sorry, guys. I thought we were doing a thing. My bad. <laughs> I I really I think it's really important to note that you know they were listening to the early metal bands and that's where they got their shit from. They happened to like you guys said right place right time. And the genre wouldn't be where it was. It wouldn't have progressed to the place that it got to if it wasn't for a lot of what Metallica did. But if you take their albums as a whole, it's really really hard to to find like I mean I love Ride the Lightning. I'll listen to that album front to back again tomorrow if for some reason I had to. But even with that album 
there are songs on there that I'm just like, I, d- d- why? Like, what do you, what? I, I still don't think they ever learned how to write a song. And no, I think that like my understanding of music and songwriting and the, as long as I've been involved in it, I can't get behind a band that writes riffs and puts them together for a career. Yeah. I'm, I can't understand it because there's only so far you can take it where you're either evolving as a musician and you get away from that sort of thing, or you don't try to evolve as a musician and you're a fan of that band. Yeah. But riffs do not make you good. James Hetfield is an incredible riff writer. Yes. He writes, the, he continues to write really good riffs, but I don't give a shit. I legitimately I laughed out loud in the dock when, when Lars says, give me a riff, James, give me a riff. After James comes back yeah. from, from recovery, I was like, oh my right. God. And, the, and Bob Rock comes in and he's like, I have to say, hearing you play a riff was the best thing I've heard in a couple of years, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I really think that like you can, you can have a band, there are bands I listen to, metal bands now who they start, like you, if you watch their documentaries, they start with a riff and even maybe another one has a riff that fits within that same concept. But the way that Metallica writes songs, I truly believe is how modern day high school bands write songs it's that absolutely they just try to put their puzzle pieces together and they shove it in if it doesn't fit they find a fucking way to make it go because they have to and i have memories alex of of, of our band doing shit like this and it's not a bad thing because hey, we were don't in drag high me school. into this <laughs> we were in high school. Hey, hey, it's well, fine. No, hey, I've I've seen footage of y'all's yes. band doing this. <laughs> Show me the tapes. <laughs> so I I really think that you don't have to listen to Metallica. We we gave you what you needed. If you haven't listened to Metallica, if you want to have some interesting times, go try it. But in general, it's uh it's it's not going to be the most fun time. And if you want to listen to good metal, email us. We'll tell you what to listen to. We'll tell, but also, if you're a young musician and you're learning what riffs are and you're learning, you're learning how to make a riff, if you're listening to Metallica, keep listening. Yeah, that's but true. But know, know that after you're done ingesting that stuff, there's such a bigger world out there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, no, I got nothing. There was a... <laughs> there I was, was going to do like a, hello, me. <laughs> there, was a, there was a time in my life where I, I said that Lars was my favorite drummer. There was a time where I said that, and I want. Hey, again, yeah. you're you're out of the band. Yeah, it's okay. I know, I, dude. I bought I bought a five string bass because of Jason Newstead. I want to travel back in time, and I want to punch myself in the face for ever saying uh, that no, or it's thinking okay. that. We, we all did stupid things in high school, and this is pretty school. unacceptable. And so did Metallica. It's pretty unacceptable. Metallica's <laughs> still doing stupid yeah. things. They're still doing dumb things. That's kind of their brand. Take what you can learn from it, but move on. Thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate yeah. it. And thanks for Alex for being on the show. Yeah, yeah. Thanks hey, for having Alex. me, guys. It was fun. How many how many Metallicas do you rate us? Um, from rating from one to my ears are bleeding. Sure, yeah. My ears are bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> Profusely. <laughs> I'm gonna end it with a bunch of uh, Saint Anger snare drums. Um, <laughs> Ha 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 ha!